topic is what Easter is all about. I am going to read the text, Matthew 16, and I'm reading from the New International Version. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gain the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward you, reward each person according to what he has done. What we're going to learn today is that Easter is more than the defeat of death and deliverance from sin. It is that, and we praise God for it, and we celebrate, and we worship. But it is more than that. Scripture does say that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And that is a great feat, and that is something to celebrate. But there was more than that that happened at Easter. We're told in another place, in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, that in the resurrection, Jesus, the son of David, was declared to be the son of God with power. He was raised by the spirit of holiness and by the resurrection declared to be the son of God with power. Now, 
in our text or in the context of our text, we will hear Peter saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But this was not fully manifested according to Scripture until he was raised from the dead. But there is still more to Easter or to the resurrection. The resurrection made possible the building of the church predicted in Matthew 16, 18. You remember in answer to the question, not only what is the public opinion or what others are saying about me, but who do you say I am, Jesus asked. And Peter, the spokesman, who was the mouthpiece of the others, declared that you are the Christ, you are Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus' response was not only in commending Peter, for allowing himself to be inspired by the Spirit of God, to receive this revelation and to share it. But he went on to say that upon this rock, on the strength and power of this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So that our text, provides the blueprint because what our text says is that from that point on, after that was established, after the declaration as to who he is and the prediction that he's going to build on that, build his church, the text says that from that point on, he began to share with them, and it was so important that he did it multiple times. That's what the text says. From that time onwards, he began and continued to share how he's going to suffer, how he's going to die, and how on the third day he's going to rise again. Now, the process by which this message came together was that when I was asked to speak today, I usually ask God, just give me a text because I don't preach sermons. I teach the Bible. I teach the text. And so I was given the text. And then I continued to wait on God for my three points, because my teaching usually has three points. And then as I thought and as I waited, the Spirit of God dropped in my spirit the word blueprint. I said blueprint. And then as I continued to meditate on the text, I saw it, that suffering, death, resurrection was the map, was the plan of his life. For the rest of his life, 
he's going to suffer, he's, then he's going to die, then he's going to be raised again. And as I continue to meditate, the whole idea of the building process came very clear to me, that if you have a blueprint, then you need to have building blocks. You need to have material. And if you have a blueprint and building blocks, then you're talking about a building. And then I struggled. I said, what building? What building is this? And then the Spirit of God led me back to chapter 16, verse 18. Upon this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus was talking about building, building his church. And the process is going to be suffering, death, resurrection. And so I got my message. I saw in the blueprint that upon announcing the building of the church, Jesus, the wise master builder, followed the plan prescribed by the Father, outlined in the scriptures. And in that plan, there are two things. One, the divine design. He said to the two on the road to Emmaus, when they were struggling to grasp, to understand, the whole scenario of him suffering his arrest and his death and resurrection. He says, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? So that the scriptures constitute the blueprint, the plan of God for the life of Jesus Christ and for the founding, the establishment of the church. But there's also divine necessity. If you listen to him and look at the text again, he says he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand, hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised again. So his life was wrapped in divine necessity. He was driven. There was a propelling compulsion leading and driving him because this was God's plan, God's will, I call it divine necessity. So that's my understanding of the blueprint. And the blueprint is the design, the desire of the Father. And in it, the divine necessity that in order to fulfill the will of the Father, you have to go through suffering, death, and resurrection.
So what we see here is a continuum. It is not just waking up one day and resurrection. For resurrection to happen, death has to occur first. And for death to occur, especially the death of crucifixion, suffering had to proceed. Now let's look, therefore, on the building blocks. Now we are in the building industry today. And the first building block is suffering. Now, suffering here is, is not butting your toe or even having COVID. It is suffering for Christ's sake. It is suffering because of your commitment to this Christ that you, you confess as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And the consequences of making such a commitment to follow him, to be like, to become like him. And what we, we, we see in the life of Christ as number one was rejection. Isaiah, which is described as the fifth gospel, chapter 53, verse three, we read, he was despised and rejected of men. And how true that was even by his own family. We read in John 7 verse 5, even his own brothers did not believe in him at one time. But to be rejected by men is, is awful. Rejection in any form is not pleasant. It is devastating. It is difficult to deal with to be rejected because it says a lot of things. And, and it's, uh, there are a lot of things not said. You don't know but you are rejected. But to be rejected by God is another thing. Did Jesus suffer rejection by God? Sure he did. For when he took our place, when according to the Apostle Paul, he became sin who knew no sin, he was rejected. And he felt forsaken. He cried out in a loud voice, Lama, Lama, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible says he was afflicted by God. All because he took our place. Or he was not a sinner, but he became sin. And that's terrible, isn't it? It is terrible. But remember, he was not only the son of man, but he was God the son. And to think of it, that God was wounded for our transgression. Can you think of God bleeding? God dying? God who can't die? But because he took our place, he died. That was extreme suffering. Not to mention hated by the establishment. As he said, don't be surprised if they hate you because they hated me first. In John 15, 18. And if you identify with me, 
you're going to be hated. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be slighted. And this is indeed suffering. Especially those of us who like it to be accepted. Like to be one of the crowd. But because of your stance with Jesus Christ. You have to deal with hate. As well as rejection. But then that's not ultimate. That's just a step along the road. The next experience of suffering, then there is death. And death is the death of Jesus Christ is described in the Bible as first of all shameful. Paul in Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law not by changing the law and changing the covenant but by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Go back to the Old Testament and you'll see that there are people who are punished by death by sword. But to show that they are criminal and to show that they deserve it, they would hang them on the tree, expose them to public shame because the custom was that anybody who was hung on a tree is accursed of God. So Christ experienced the covenantal curse because if you obey, if you disobey, if you obey, there is a covenantal blessing. But if you disobey, there's a covenantal curse. And because Jesus again identified with us, we're sinners. He was cursed. He experienced the covenantal curse so that we will experience the new covenant blessing. And so Jesus said, it's written in the blueprint, it's written in the scriptures, the prophets all declared it. I just read from one, Isaiah chapter 53. Suffering. Death. But death is also described in, in the Bible, the death of Christ, that's not only shameful, but powerful. On Friday night, in a service where they were <clears throat> rehearsing and reflecting on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. My niece was asked to comment on the last word, which says that Jesus gave up the spirit and died. And she entitled her commentary on, I quit, you didn't fire me. In other words, I died, you didn't kill me. I, I, I'm not dying of suicide, I'm not dying of homicide. I am dying 
as a sacrifice. I'm laying down my life. He says in John 10, 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay down off my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. So his death was a powerful death. He didn't die in weakness. He didn't die gasping for life. He knew what he was getting into. It was difficult, but he settled it in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will, but yours be done, Father. I want us to notice also his loud cries toward the end of his life. In Matthew 27, verses 46 and verse 50, we read that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We also read that Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice. When he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So he died a powerful death. And it took a powerful death to defeat the devil, to destroy death, and to bring deliverance to us, for which we praise God. We say, hallelujah, hallelujah. But he not only died, he rose from the dead. He said, the scripture says that on the third day, is going to be raised up to life. And as we examine scripture, we discover that this was a bodily resurrection. His body was quickened by the, he really died. Because if he wasn't dead, they would not have buried him. And when they buried him, The authorities didn't want him to rise again. So they sealed the tomb and posed a soldier to guard the tomb. Because they feared that his disciples were going to come and take his body out and then say that he was raised from the dead. His disciples, his followers didn't believe in him. So they all forsook him and fled. This is the end of it now. We had hoped that he is the one who would have redeemed Israel. And so they deserted him. They fled. But he rose in a body so that he could eat breakfast in John chapter 21 with his disciples. And he could displace molecules. He could enter a room without having someone open the door for him. Because he now lived in a body that was controlled by his spirit. Prior to this, he was in a body just like yours and mine. A body in which he had to rest. And he had to eat. And he had to go through the, all the motions that we go through in our human body. But now he is 
in a body controlled by his spirit. Listen to scripture that talks about the resurrection. He says the resurrection of the dead is like what happens in agriculture. He said the body that is sown is perishable. But that same body is raised imperishable. It is the same body but different. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And this is key. This is so important. That Jesus rose from the dead with power. He rose from the dead with the understanding that the agenda is not completed. In fact, he knew that resurrection is just one side of a coin. The other side is the exaltation, is the ascension. And of course, we read in Acts 2.33 that says, He being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he, Peter says, what you see is the outpouring of the Spirit of God. As the church is being formed, the church is being established. So he not only was resurrected in a body controlled by his Spirit, but he was equipped to build that spiritual house that he announced upon the confession of the faith of his followers, the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why when we read verses like Psalm 118 verse 22, it makes a lot of sense. The stone the builder rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So rising from the dead, defying the power of darkness and, and death and the devil, Jesus now is equipped to complete this building that is going to be his representative in the world. Second, first Peter 2, verses 4 to 5 reads, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones. You know, the, first, the, the chapter 1 talks about how we have been resurrected unto a living hope. And we thank God for the power of the resurrection. We sang about it in our worship so far. That his resurrection life is resurrecting me. Like living stones are being built. It's a process that continues into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
You know, in John chapter 2, when Jesus said, destroy this temple and after three days I will raise it up again. Jesus made a very profound statement. What Jesus was saying is that what the tabernacle was and the purpose it served was succeeded by the temple built by Solomon. And what the temple built by Solomon was, Jesus has become. And before his resurrection, Jesus was the, 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 the instrument, the vessel that bore the presence of God. And even in his death, we read that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. But the continuum continues beyond resurrection. The resurrection made possible the fact for this spiritual house, this building of God, to become a holy priesthood. To do what the temple used to do. To complement what Jesus Christ did for three and a half years but to continue what he did in being God's representative, the vessel that represents, the, in which God is tabernacled, the spiritual house offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. On what a feat. What a feat. What is very sad though is that what was to Jesus Christ a stepping stone? Suffering, death, resurrection was to Peter a stumbling block. What was a stepping stone towards his destiny? Because he's the builder. And he's also a part of the building as we're going to see very soon. And very quickly, Peter's rebuke. Can you imagine what arrogance? And, and this is what we have to be very careful. Because we learn and, and we accept what we learn. And we are tempted to believe that this is ultimate. But when we're dealing with God, nothing is really ultimate. It can only be a progressive revelation. You learn a little bit today, you benefit from it, you apply it. But we should not close the door. We should not build three tabernacles like Peter wanted to do. Because there's so much more of God that is available to us. So there should be an openness, a wanting to know more. Wouldn't it have been more beautiful if Peter 
the same Peter that allowed the Spirit of God to speak to him and he received that revelation and he spoke it out and he was commended. It was so beautiful. You commend him. Wouldn't it be so much more beautiful if Peter had just, I don't know, I don't understand, but I'm open. This is what Jesus says. And so let me wait and see. No, he was arrogant. God deliver us from arrogance. And rebuke the very person that he had hailed as the Messiah. And says, never. No, 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 not you. I call this triumphalism. Embracing the Son of God as Messiah, but rejecting the Son of Man, suffering and dying. Understanding who he is, but do not understand what he does. Desiring the power and the glory while denying suffering and weakness. Peter preferred the power and the glory, but not the suffering. Not identifying with Jesus and sharing in his death. No. And so, <clears throat> according to the blueprint, the building is the ultimate goal. The building is the church. And what is interesting is, <clears throat> is excuse me, now the church is the one body of Christ. There is one body in as much as there's one spirit and there's one Lord and one baptism. They're not two church, the two bodies, just one. And that one body is made up of one head, but several members. And I don't know if you know that members is a building term. You know, builders refer to things like rafters and beams and columns as members. And that's what we are in the body of Christ. We are members. And I can't help but think, my little knowledge of building, is that there's even a member that they say is pressure treated. is treated under pressure. And the Lord Jesus Christ was treated under pressure. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Christ is the head of the church as her source. The Bible says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can be experienced by us. That power by which he has subdued all principalities and powers, everything that would oppose him is under his feet. And in that one sweep, he has appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So don't you think of the church as only made up of sisters and brothers. The church is made up of Jesus Christ because he is the head of the church.
And as such, he's not only the authority figure, he's the source. The word translated head here means also source. He's the source from whom all the nutrients we need, the power that we need flows. It is made up of those begotten through blood, sweat, and tears. As scripture says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But it is also made up of Christ the head as her source. Therefore, as we come to a close, we ask or we look at what it means to be a member of the church or a disciple in the community. And here is Jesus' version of what it means to be a member of the church. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would join me and become my follower, you remember the divine necessity? He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the new international version. version. But the new revised standard version says, if any want to become my followers, so there must, it must be a desire, it must be a will. And it seemed to suggest, since these were follow, followers of Christ, he had sent them out on mission. It seemed to suggest that discipleship is not only an act of the will, but it is a continuous act of the will. It is an ever wanting to be and making ourselves available by answering the call to discipleship based on the confession of faith in Christ. You know, it, 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 it leaves us to question, and Lord forgive us for wanting to question the Apostle Peter. How genuine was his confession? When Jesus says, well, you confess me to be the Messiah, but Messiah must suffer and die and rise again. And Peter objected to that just because he did not understand. Answering the call to discipleship based on the confession of faith in Christ and the appropriation of Ephesians 1, the incomparably great power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us who believe. Confession and appropriation. Because it is not, this is not theoretical. It's not theory. It is experiential. It is to be experienced. Like the Apostle Paul says, I want to know him. The power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. So yes, Easter is more than the destruction, the, the defeat of death. 
at the deliverance from sin. It is. It, 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 it follows through to the building of the spiritual house, the church, of which Jesus is the head. And you and I and all believers are members who are striving to be disciples. What it means is that we are being willing to pay the cost. Answering the call means that we are willing to pay the cost. To say no to self on a daily basis. To say no to things that we have grown to like and we give priority to. But those things do not promote discipleship and enhance the work of the kingdom of God. Taking up his or her own cross as an instrument of death and symbol of total commitment, even unto death. Following Christ, yielding to him as the head. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died as a martyr, said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If that is true, then maybe today we cannot only make an altar where we are, but maybe because to take up the cross means that you're taking your cross to the place of execution. Maybe we need to make where we are today the place of execution, where we die to sin, die to the impulses that prevent us from enjoying the Christian life to the fullest. Maybe we should make where we are a cemetery, the place of burial where we bury. Because what is dead must be buried. Place of total commitment to Christ. Who has demonstrated total commitment. And therefore qualifies him. To be the head of the church. May God bless his words to our hearts. For his name's sake. Amen. 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 And amen. I don't know if it could be any more, any clearer to us today. I, I, I don't think it could be made any simpler. And all that is left for us to do is to respond to this word this morning. It's as simple as that. So you may find yourself in one of a few positions. Maybe you are a Christian. But this morning, this word has done something as it is doing for me even now. And it has really shone a particular spotlight on how... how much more, how much farther we have to go in denying self, in truly taking up our cross and following 
after Christ Jesus. Maybe our following, you know, has been scattered all over the place. We say we're following him, but we have been distracted. And sometimes looking at what is over there, wonder if I should follow that. Or looking over there, wondering if I should follow that, when really we only need to be following Jesus. As Christians, I call us to a place of personal reflection and introspection today to really examine yourself and truly make this day, this Resurrection Sunday, a day that is that new life is, is, is coming to you. You're rising up, yes, with King Jesus, walking deliberately in the path that he has set before us. Not looking to the left or to the right, but chasing after him. Maybe you find yourself in another category that you've never really done. The denial of self and answer the call to, to discipleship. Maybe you have never done that. And the fact that you are here this morning, you can hear us or you're hearing a delayed broadcast of this is just another opportunity given to you to say yes to Jesus, to say, yes, Lord, I'm denying everything that this world thinks it can offer me. And I'm choosing to follow Jesus. No looking back, no turning back. This call may not come again. And I implore you to answer today. And you can do this by simply repeating this prayer. And we're here with you and we're going to repeat it with you. And it says, Heavenly and Almighty God, I come before you humbled and sorrowful aware of my sin and ready to repent. Lord, forgive me for I have sinned before you. Wash away my sin, purify me and help me to turn from this sin. Lead me to walk in your way instead, leaving behind my old life and starting a new life in you. Amen. And if it is you have said this prayer this morning and you want to talk further with someone, you need counseling, you need someone to pray with you, you need someone to help you, you can reach out to us at New Life Horizon Church by emailing us at newhorizonmin at gmail.com. That is our email, newhorizonmin at gmail.com. Or you may call or text 469 333 